C.S. Lewis once said, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. I wonder if you've sensed that at all in your spirit over the last few months. Dissatisfaction with this world and a longing for the world to come. On the one hand, we've been reminded rather rudely that this world is fundamentally broken, that life is inescapably fragile, and that pain, suffering, and frustration cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. On the other hand, we have also been reminded, perhaps more subtly, that this world remains fundamentally beautiful, that life is inescapably precious, and that love and kindness and compassion are just as prevalent as the pain in this temporary place we call home. Brokenness and beauty have been unusually intertwined. The church is an outpost of heaven an outpost in this present world, so we've not been spared the strangeness of this current cultural moment. Russell Moore recently wrote, as I write this, I'm listening to my boys laughing with their youth group through Zoom. Maybe you can relate. We've all found a way to connect, to hear the word of God, to be discipled together. I am wiping away tears from my eyes, but I don't quite know why. Partly it's because this reality is unbelievably sad, and partly it's because the despite-it-all nature of the church is unbelievably beautiful. So I have two hopes for us this morning. As we talk about the glory of Christian community. May one, we come to a deeper appreciation of the grace and the mercy that God has shown us in bringing us into fellowship with one another and with him as well. And two, that God would increase our love for him and our longing for the world to come. Our passage this morning is Ephesians 2, actually, verses 11 through 22. And My thought on this particular passage is that we preached through this passage several weeks ago, and we did it in small sections. I want to look back on it, though, because when we preached through it before, it was on the front end of the coronavirus epidemic. I want now that we're hopefully more towards the back end to look back on these verses and to pull out themes from these verses and to recognize how utterly precious these truths are. So, here our passage for this morning from Ephesians 2, verses 11 through 22. Remember, therefore, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel 
and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And so, Lord, we ask then that you would help us now. Lead us by your Spirit, the very Spirit who is building us into a temple in which you would dwell. Lead us by that same Spirit so that we might be amazed at the reality and the privilege that you have called us into, into this community, this church. For despite all of our weaknesses and all of our challenges, this place, your church, is the dearest place on earth to us. So lead us now, I ask, in Jesus' name, amen. So over the past several months, we've been used to handling much smaller sections of Scripture. So let me serve you well by summarizing this longer section in a, in a, in a really tight way. Since we lived in the world, verses 11 and 12, Jesus came and redeemed us from the world, verses 13 through, 13 through 18, so that we would reflect his glory to the world, verses 19 through 22. Since we lived in the world, Jesus came and redeemed us from the world so that we would reflect his glory to the world, and we'll spend some time on each one of these emphases. Now, one of the main reasons we can still identify with all of the pain and suffering of the world is because when Jesus came and when he came and redeemed us from the world he did not physically take us out of the world the reality is that before Jesus redeemed us we lived wholeheartedly in and among the world now it's interesting that in both verse 11 and verse 12 the exhortation here is to remember. Now, 
for many of us, perhaps most of us, we can remember at least some period of time, some period of time in our lives when we were perhaps skeptical of Christianity or some period of time when we were, we were so entrenched in our sin that we were just unwilling to fully follow Jesus. Some period of time before we walked by the Spirit. Most of us can remember some time when we were alienated from God or hostile to Christ. Some time when the life of God just seemed strange to us. But if you were converted at a very young age, so much so that you, you, don't, you don't remember a time like this, then praise God. Praise God that you were converted at such an early age and in such a dramatic way that you cannot even remember a time when you weren't walking with God. That is a glorious miracle and you have a dramatic testimony that is far different than so many others in the world. Praise God that he saved you and saved you so decisively. Now, for those of us who can, that is, for those of us who can remember a time before we knew Jesus, I think we're called to remember these times because the mercy we've received from God is so, is so immeasurably rich and so overwhelmingly gracious. It's easy to kind of forget how lost we really were before we met Christ. It kind of reminds me of, of looking at old pictures in picture albums. So, young people, there, there used to be these books that you would actually put hard copy pictures into and they would get water stains and look kind of nasty and, and your parents probably looked pretty funny in them. But we remember thinking, yeah, that was pretty cool back in the day. Maybe my hair or my clothes or my cars or, or my friends, we were just on point. We just had it going on. And then you look back at the old pictures and you just laugh because you looked ridiculous. The reality wasn't nearly as impressive as you had backfilled it to be in your mind. In a similar way, it's good to remember that before we met Jesus, we weren't almost Christians. And then somebody shared the gospel with us and because, because we were pretty cool and because we were pretty much there anyway, we just accepted Christ and, and everything was wonderful. That is not at all the reality. The reality is we were ugly in our sin. We were as lost in our sin as anybody that we hope to share the gospel with, whether it's family members or friends or co-workers or neighbors. Part of the glory of Christian community is the, is the similar confession we all share, remembering how far God has already brought us. Think about the way you used to spend your time before you met Jesus, or the words you used to use, or... Think about what fed your mind or some of the people who influenced you before you were walking with Christ. That is, when you were following the prince 
of the power of the air. Remember the impact these people or these things had on you. And then, and then, then take a moment to look around, either at people in here or maybe some of these people are in your home. Look around and take a moment to praise God for the people that he now has in your life influencing you at this very moment, the people with whom God has called you into community. Rejoice. Rejoice for what God is doing in your life and rejoice for the people that God has brought you around you in your life. God, our Heavenly Father, has brought a people around you for whom his son died and in whom his spirit dwells. A people who are willing to sacrificially love you. A people who formerly were separated from Christ, according to our passage, who now are unwilling to neglect meeting together with you, whether that's over Zoom or whether that's in person. These are a people who are being built into a temple for the living God, committed to thinking about ways to stir you up to love and good works. These are a people who pray for you. These are a people who are willing to pursue you and to walk with you until we either go to be with Jesus or until he comes back to get us. These are people who are willing to be united in mind and thought with you, 1 Corinthians 1.10. These members of the household of God are willing to shun darkness so they can walk with you in the light, 1 John 1.7. These are people willing to warn you, encourage you, and be patient with you, 1 Thessalonians 5.14. The people in this fellowship are willing to restore you in a spirit of gentleness if you stray, Galatians 1. They're willing to carry your burdens, Galatians 2, and they're willing to do good to you, Galatians 6, 10. These are people who will love you at all times and stick with you through adversity as a brother or a sister, Proverbs 17, 17. They are people eager to maintain unity in the spirit, Ephesians 4, 3. There are people here who are willing to build you up, not tear you down with their words. There are people here willing to use their spiritual gifts for your good, 1 Corinthians 12, 7. There are people here within this fellowship being built into a temple of the living God by the Spirit, who are willing to serve you as Jesus has served us, Mark 10, 45. And there are people who are willing to remind you to rely on God and point you to Jesus no matter how hard things are for you or how hard things are for them, 2 Corinthians 1. So take a moment to praise God today. And maybe take a moment to thank someone today for the influence that they have on your life and praise God for the way that he has moved to draw you into fellowship with him. Now, 
The glory of Christian community is also evidenced in the fact that though we were once far off from God, we've not only been brought into community with God's people, but with God himself. Consider verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, and in context here, he's talking about Gentiles, so he's talking about 99.9% of us. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So perhaps the only thing more shocking than being able to draw near to God is the means by which we gain access to him, namely through the blood of Christ. In this passage, we learn that his precious blood was spilled and our hostility was killed through the cross, verse 16. And, and really, if I think about it, this, this whole section just, frankly, stuns me. I think it's because the reality of the gospel never gets old. Here we learn that the most blessed son of God, who for ages past has enjoyed all the privileges rightly due him through fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit, this person, this second member of the Godhead, he came to us. He came to preach to us, to preach good news to us, and he came to redeem us, verse 17. That is, the most holy son of God, who has been the recipient of endless praises in heaven by tens of thousands upon tens of thousands of angels, was willing to be made a little lower than the angels for a time. Hebrews 1, 7. He was willing to sweat and to eat and to, to sneeze and to sleep, to get dirty and to, and to actually work with hands instead of just declaring something to be so with his voice and it just came into being. He was willing to work. He was willing to Submit to human parents. He was willing to be ridiculed by his brothers. And I guarantee you, young Jesus was ridiculed by his brothers. Because they weren't perfect, just Jesus was. His brothers were still ridiculing him even when he was in his ministry. They thought he was crazy for what he was saying and doing. That is until Jesus appeared to James after he was killed and when he was resurrected from the dead. The amazing thing, perhaps the miraculous thing, is that Jesus was willing to be treated not just less than he deserved, but he was willing to be treated worse than his creatures. The question is, why? Why would the most holy, most blessed, 
most glorious son of God. Why would he do that? Jesus was willing to submit to suffering and to slander and ultimately to death itself. Why? In order to redeem us from the curse of the law. Why? In order to redeem us from the guilt of our sin. In order to redeem us from the shackles of our shame. Why? In order to absorb his father's terrifying wrath on our behalf. Why? In order to give us true life, John 14, 6. In order to give us abundant life, John 10, 10. In order to give us eternal life, 1 John 5, 11. Jesus was willing to come to us in order to vanquish Satan and in order to vindicate the glory and honor of his father's name before all his creation, finally and fully and forever. This person, he himself is our peace. He who is the Prince of Peace. He came to us and he preached peace to us. Peace found in him alone and peace found through his cross alone by his blood alone. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. For by his wounds we have been healed. Jesus came and redeemed us from the world. Jesus came and redeemed us from the world. Utterly amazing. And yet he did that so that we could have access to the Father of glory. So the story just keeps getting better. By his blood, through the Spirit, what happens now is Perhaps the most stunning aspect of the whole redemptive story. Access to God, restored relationship with God, is now possible by the blood of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Verse 18. Peter summarizes this miraculous truth in this way in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ suffered once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. As one man has said, just the privilege of fellowship with God is infinitely more than anything that God could give. When he gives himself, he is giving more than anything else in the universe. So consider the one to whom we have been brought and with whom we now enjoy the privilege of fellowship. In other words, brothers and sisters, Think about what makes fellowship with God actually greater than anything else that he could give us. The reason is because God himself is the source of every good thing that is given to us. This is how Michael Reeves puts it in Delighting in the Trinity. Indeed, in the triune God is the love behind all love, the life behind all life, the music behind all music, the beauty behind all 
beauty and the joy behind all joy. So just think about what you savor in this world. Think about the good things that God has blessed us with, which are good and we should enjoy. Just a perfectly grilled steak. The joy of children's laughter. The kindness of a neighbor or a brother and sister in Christ. The emotions that well up within us when we, when we hear a certain song. If you've savored the goodness of any of these realities, then you have, you've tasted a morsel of the goodness of the glory of the one who makes all things possible. And yet he is better still. Given who he is, the fact that the forgiveness of sin leads to restored fellowship with God is the greatest miracle of the gospel. J.I. Packer, adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. The church, by definition, brothers and sisters, is a redeemed community who is now in fellowship through adoption with God himself. Therefore, the highest glory of Christian community is found in the glory of the one who has redeemed us, which is why we constantly glory in our Redeemer. In fact, the church only has glory as a redeemed community to the degree to which we reflect the glory of our Redeemer. So the question becomes, what's that look like? What's it look like for us to reflect the glory of our Redeemer in the culture of the world from which we've been redeemed already? It's a nuanced question. Positively speaking, what it looks like is reflecting the greatness and the beauty and the glory of the Father to the community. Perhaps looking at it from another angle, in large measure, what it must mean is that our behavior must be countercultural in order to present the glory of our Redeemer to the culture most clearly. Now, we don't make it our aim to be countercultural for the sake of being anti culture. That's not the goal at all. Rather, Peter in 1 Peter 2 puts it just like Paul puts it in Ephesians 4. Listen to the language that Peter uses. He says, As we put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, and as we come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious. You yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he just keeps ramping it up. He continues, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that is, we are in communion with him because we belong to him. 
that we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Saying that a little bit more tightly, we've been drawn into community with God in order to reach our community for God. So let's not overanalyze this and let's not over-engineer this. Think about what types of behaviors dominate the culture. And then realize how truly countercultural it is to not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Romans 12, 16. Or how countercultural is it that as far as it depends on us, we strive to live at peace with all people, Romans 12, 18. Or that we don't seek vengeance, we don't seek to repay evil for evil, but we seek to overcome evil by actually doing good and loving our enemies, Romans 12, 21. Think about the current moment in which we're living The current difficulties have touched every single one of us in some way. And think about how counter-cultural it is. Even more, think about positively how beautifully it reflects the glory of God to rejoice in suffering, to count it all joy when we meet Trials of various kinds. Think about how powerful it is in an age of everything is instant, in an age where personalities are belligerent, in an age where people are so skittish in relationships. How powerful is it to see the community of believers in all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love and reflect the glory of our Father in an eagerness to maintain the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4. These are matters of life and death for this current cultural moment. Perhaps the most powerful testimony of all to the culture. And what's really driving my thoughts here is that for many of us, perhaps not all of us, but for many of us, since we've been home largely over the past couple of months, the primary way that we've been engaging with the world or keeping up on the world is in some form of social media. Perhaps the most powerful testimony of all to the culture, especially on social media, is when those from the family of God let their reasonableness be evident to all because the Lord is at hand. Philippians 4, 5. Did you ever think that the word reasonable would be so charged with power? And yet it is. 
Think about any political conversation in public. Think about what we see on TV and especially what we see on social media. If you want to fight on the front lines of the culture wars, if you want to be an informed voice of wisdom into the culture, if you want to be an influential critic, if you want to stand out as a light in the midst of a darkened world, especially on social media, then commit to the conversation-inviting but devil-stomping and Christ-exalting Christian virtue of reasonableness. And you will stand out amidst a crowd. I love Proverbs 4-7 on this very point of speaking wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) I can't think of a place where we need to pray more constantly for wisdom and for, for reasonableness than before we utilize the keystrokes on our laptops or the thumb placements on our phones. Reasonableness is not a a hard concept to understand, but we should take some time to think about our motivations when we are engaging people out in public or on social media. Are we seeking to prove that we're right? Or are we really seeking to rescue this person out of love for our neighbor? Reasonableness probably begins with respecting the other person as a person, even if their view is something that you find unreasonable. But think about how much it reflects the glory of our Father when we as the Christian church can walk into supercharged situations or really any context and demonstrate wisdom and reasonableness that will be honored by all. And one day we'll cause our neighbors to give glory to our Father in heaven. May we as a church choose the higher ground of wisdom and reasonableness out in public and on social media. And may we speak and act and message and link to and forward and share and post for the glory of God and the glory of God alone. Brothers and sisters, as we come to a conclusion In our passage. And so we think about it in light of hopefully the conclusion of this current cultural moment. (laughs) Let's hope it's imminent. As we think about what God may be teaching us during this time, teaching us about what we value and about what we cherish, may I encourage you to long for more than just a return to normalcy. Brothers and sisters, let's use this time to think about how we can better love one another as the church. Let's think about how we can better serve our neighbors in our community and better reflect the glory of God as a community. Let's not just long for the world to return as we knew it. Rather, let's use this time to increase our longing for another world, 
a new earth under a new heaven where love and wonder and joy and freedom will become our new normal. We long for the day when the building of this this spiritual house is finally finished. We long for the day when pandemics and economic disaster and pain and suffering and death are just shadows, just a distant memory of the past. We long for a day when we can take our masks off, not only because the fear of coronavirus is gone forever, but because the fear of being known as we truly are is gone forever. To know God is to be known by God. To be known by God is to experience communion with God. To experience communion with God in large measure is to experience his presence among God's people. So perhaps the the hidden glory of Christian community is not only to be known and loved by God as we are, but to be known and loved by one another as we are. And so, my beloved brothers and sisters, my beloved brothers and sisters, as we delight in the one who now miraculously delights also in us. May we reflect his glory with great joy to a world that needs more than ever to experience the despite-it-all nature of the church for what it is, unbelievably beautiful. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for the privilege of Christian community. Thank you for the even higher privilege of communion with the the Godhead. Lord, I make a distinction between those two things, but apparently you do not. Because you love, you love to be present among your people. You came to us and you love us. Father, I pray that as we sing now, the miracle of the gospel would would seep deep within our hearts. And I pray that by faith, we would be able to express our love for you and trust in the reality of your love for us. We delight in you, Father, and we praise you, and we praise the Son, and we praise the Spirit that miraculously you also delight in us. Lead us now as we pray. As we sing, in Jesus' name, amen.